Hello. 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 I can hear you loud and clear. I've been running into a couple of technical difficulties there. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a website or something. Yeah, I'm assuming so. When there we go, Mr. Dark Mavis, how are you doing, my friend? Yo. Am I coming through okay? Yes, you are. Yeah. Beautiful. All right, Doug, you're you're kind of muted out there. I can't hear you. All right, hang on. Shit. I'm going through a bad spot. I need like two minutes. Here, hang on, hang on. All right. Um, because it doesn't let me flag or do timestamps uh, while we're talking, I literally have to write down uh, times for start time, break time, stuff like that. How how is this now? If I'm running like this? Oh, that's crystal clear. Okay. All right. Uh, Dark will be on here in a little bit. Um, so, like I said, I literally have to write down my own timestamps because. Uh, this platform doesn't give you the ability whenever you're recording with other people like this. No, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you're recording by yourself, you can hit the, uh, the flag button and it just puts a little flag right where um, you're starting your audio officially or where you have a segment. Stuff like that. Yeah. All right, he's going through a bad spot. Give him two minutes. Uh, we're just going to start it right here at two minutes. And sounds good. All right, you have reached Dark Light Dugan. We're here with our guest, uh, Mr. Dugan Ashley. Uh, can you say hello? Hi, hi, hi. All right. Hi. So, how's everything hey, going I'm for good. you? Great. What What are we talking about tonight? I was actually kind of thinking about talking about, um, lightly talking about the election, but what is the inevitable goal with this election? I see a lot of people on the left uh, by chomping at the bit, thinking that Joe Biden's going to win and are told that he's going to win. And also see all these uh, legal proceedings going on with uh, Trump, uh, possibly giving him the ability to win and make everybody think that he stole this whole election. And it looks like we're in for a lot of turmoil uh, either which way we go. Yeah, I would agree with that. I agree with that. I think everything's everything's uh, pulling together at a like an, it's like an optical focus and everything's coming together. All the different shitty unfortunate things that have started to take place in the last hundred years are just like all coming to a head. That's what it feels like. And the election is like the uh, catalyst for uh, squeezing that. Yeah, I've been I've been watching uh, media around the world, and I see majority of every country out there uh, claiming that uh, Joe Biden is the go, clear baby. winner, is the clear winner, and um, uh, Trump is just setting everything up and uh, acting like a child. And the only news source that I actually see acting more American. Uh, than anybody else is actually uh, uh, Sky News Australia, which kind of really blows my mind. Yeah, it, 
your guess is as good as mine. I don't, I, I don't even read any Australian news. Yeah, you got to be a little bit more uh, world traveled on that one. <laughs> their, their toilet goes, the, their water goes the opposite way in the uh, in the toilet. I hear. All right, you're breaking back up on us, Doug. Am I back? Uh, yeah, a little bit. It just sounds like a tad bit muffled. We still hear you. It's just muffled a little bit. Check, check. There you go. There we go. Okay, yeah. So, uh, so the elections. Yeah. What's really bizarre is the, I mean, it's still in the air, right? I mean, I, I quit watching the news at this point. Yeah, it's still in the air as far as I can see. Um, Trump is a little bit just yeah. to, you know, stay current with the poisonous MSM. Giuliani looks like he's still uh, fighting, uh, fighting the good fight or whichever fight he's fighting uh, on his end. And um, I'm seeing stuff right now where I guess they're trying to bring back up uh, Joe Biden and his son with the uh, the laptop and the supposed pedophilia and drug use and uh uh, stealing from the U.S. Uh, taxpayers and setting up uh, slush funds for his family. It's like it's like this. It's like how do I even put this? It's almost like you know, like the presidential position for a nation, right? Like I, I think we've really royally fucked up here, and we really kind of need to be spanked. But but if we're going to be a nation, then and if we're gonna we're gonna actually be a nation, then we have to actually do all the things that a nation does and function the way a nation functions. If we're going to have a president, it feels like, you know, like this whole thing, no matter who it is, right? Like, I mean, Joe Biden is not a real person. <laughs> in my opinion. And neither is Trump. And so the, uh, you know what I mean? They're not, these are not people that, uh, that I would associate with. They're not people that I would like work with. They're not people that would know anything about any of the things that go on in my life. They're just completely, completely on a different plane of existence that is not human. Like it's a, it's a based on money and, and you know, these uh, abstractions and that's like what their, their identity is uh, developed around is like how they navigate that. But in terms of the president's position, it's not, it's like not a, uh, you know, like the, pre- like, the, like presidential candidates shouldn't be able to get, uh, like blackmailed for pedophilia. Number one, because they shouldn't have be fucking around with pedophilia. Number one, <laughs> and number right. two, there shouldn't be anything there. And number two, it shouldn't be like every fucking election for everybody is something about a sex scandal and pedophilia. So if that's happening, that means one of two things. That either means that the fucking media is making the shit up, or number two, all of our politicians are pedos. And pedos are like a very small fraction of the population. So what the fuck, you know? It's like it doesn't make any sense, and it and it's not representative of the United States. Like they're, you know, but it's happening every. I mean, it's just happening more and more frequently. It's getting more, you know. Yeah, like our standard for political candidates has, you know, the bar has been dropped so low for our standards that we are accepting people and completely looking the other way when we see corruption and, you know, corruption for financial gain and pedophilia and people just say, oh, yeah, but, you know, they just look the other way. 
It's it's crazy. I I I've noticed it over the past couple of election cycles. Um, one thing that I brought up to a lot of people is why is it that all these child sex rings follow along with the um, the Democratic National uh, Party uh, um, uh, promotions and the Republican Party promotions? It's really weird. Every time you know we have some large group of uh, politicians show up in uh, in my state, you end up hearing about these uh, these sex rings following them. And nobody puts two and two together and say, well, maybe it might be because of this. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the party system is is the is a very uh, has been a, an entirely corrosive force. It's just it's corroded everything. And the the I guess the, the most disappointing thing about it is that it's uh, like the party system. Most Americans view it as. They view it just like you go, you know, if you're if you're if you're an American, you eat like fast food. And you're like, I can go to McDonald's, I can go to Taco Bell, or I can go to Hardee's or whatever, you know. And then they're like, then those are my choices, <laughs> and that's how people yeah. view parties and shit. And they don't think, that, you know, it's just it's very unfortunate that people don't think to uh, look at the construction of them. Like, who built this motherfucking McDonald's? Who built this candidate? Who built the the uh, the party? that they're involved in. Cause we take for granted the assumption that these parties have just existed forever. They haven't existed forever. And the mechanics of how they came into being and how they have existed and who has been in charge of them and coordinating them the entire time, decade after decade, that is the key to understanding because you don't, you don't go in, you know, with the MSM telling everyone that with the MSM and education telling everyone that the party system is red, blue, it, it, they're, they're, you know, they're setting up for uh, like a field goal with uh, making people be unable to. I mean, you hear it all the time where it's like, I would vote for this third party member or whatever, but that'll throw the vote. So I'm going to vote this way. I'm going to vote that, you know, I'm going to vote this way. I'm not going to split a ticket. You know, yeah. it's like uh, it, it's it's all this stuff is just like an algebra game. Like it's just it's literally a game to just you're just losing. You're losing. And so now, now we're fucked. Like we don't have any candidates and they're just running ring around the rosy with us. And well, just uh, like you said, people can't even think for themselves. They're not, yeah. they're using the MSM and social media and other platforms and the indoctrination, uh, you know, process of schools to, you know, to get these ideas implanted mm-hmm. in them. They can't even think for themselves. And they can't see outside of it. It's a control paradigm. It's a, it's a paradigm that is not real. It's an abstraction and it's a paradigm of control. And it's like cast around the mind, like a head cage that uh, like prevents somebody from seeing it, it. It not only prevents them from being able to ascertain what's going on around them. And they only hear like the echoes of the uh, false narratives. They're unable to identify what's beyond that, you know? So both, both in their own personal life, but also in the propaganda that they're getting, they're unable to see beyond the propaganda and say like, why is this being said? They can't see beyond it. They can only see the propaganda and say, I want propaganda A or propaganda B or propaganda C. Mm -hmm. That's it. But if they could see beyond it, then they would, they would be able to understand the rationale for why the propaganda has to come. And then it gives you an insight into like, well, if this is the case, then this may happen, you know, in the future. And then, it gives insight too into just a personal 
just a personal fulfillment, like how unfulfilled people are yeah. in general, you know, humanity. In general. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you can see things, if you can see things uh, beyond the curtain, then you can, you, if you, if you see the world that way, then you can also have the opportunity to, to completely make a conscious decision of how much you want to dip your toe into the poison or not, you know, and yeah. be free of it if you want to, you know, like you can, you can, I mean, in a, in a personal, in a mental and spiritual sense, it's like you could be free of it. You just, just knowing that, you know, this is nothing to sink your claim into. It makes it easier to like, uh, let go of the, the stress that comes along with it. I would agree with you on that. Now, you you did just kind of mention a little bit about uh, influence, uh, like a background influence, and I'm assuming if I if I'm getting this wrong, uh, you know, definitely let me know. But didn't Eisenhower make a statement regarding um, the military industrial complex uh, being something? Um, that was influencing elections and the way the U.S. is going? Or uh, were you talking about uh, another type of influence uh, that's been running rampant in the, uh, the, back, uh, the back rooms of this country and other countries? Well, both of the above. So my, my opinion on Eisenhower is that, uh, you know, I'm not very fond of Eisenhower. And the reason why is because a lot of people aren't, most people aren't familiar with Eisenhower's background. Uh, he was an aide to MacArthur, uh, like a- after World War One. And if you're not familiar with World War One, um, it was relatively benign for the United States. We did take, you know, hundred like a hundred thousand, uh, at minimum like a hundred thousand losses. But it was more benign than World War Two. The people that were fighting took massive, 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 massive losses. You know, like the Europeans, all the Europeans between Russia and Germany, uh, particularly, and the French, they had massive, massive losses. We got off really lucky, and and we didn't get in there until uh, the end. And uh, you know, after World War One, a lot of USGIs went back and got super fucked up because of the new weapons that were released. You had like a whole wave of new weapons released in World War One from submarines, planes tanks uh gas and uh like advanced sniping trench warfare uh huge huge uh employment of uh, newer high explosives that were uh with fuses that were more complex because prior to the major war would have been like some of the uh like uh german wars and the french wars and then like the civil war in the united states and uh the stuff that they're using just isn't as van- advanced as the, um, as the, uh, this, 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 the equipment, the artillery, the weapons that are coming out in World War One, advanced explosives, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, you can imagine how, how all that stuff ripping loose in one war, and then we go over there, and then we come back. How fucked up all these people! Like it, it, it just really trashed our generation. You know, of. Uh, Right, we we have the the term shell shock uh, coming from there. I mean, people were being executed, and they were having PTSD on our own uh, on our own sides, from what I've read into until you know uh, more modern times when they've actually looked at it and they classified it as you know this is actual uh, psychological trauma. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And there's 
Now, the PTSD, you know, the the term has different, uh, like, morphology depending on the decade. But essentially what you have is, like, uh, you, you basically have a couple of different, like, types or manifestations of it. The one that people are familiar with now is not what they're talking about in World War One. So in World War One, if you felt the way that, you know, people feel now, like, you could just off the shelf and nobody's going to care, you know. The, uh, yeah, back then they thought shell shock was a physical reaction. Yeah, it to was. It was being around the explosions. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they they in World War One with the difference because because they developed new explosives like picric acid and uh, um, I mean you have like so many new explosives coming out in artillery particularly and then guns they were really into big bore guns shooting huge fucking high explosive artillery shells. So there's pictures of like, you know, European soldiers standing in brass, like up to the waist, the size of a football field, you know, just like brass casing from artillery, just like a fucking pile of the football field big. And that's just like one, just like one that's the brass from the battery. You know? and, Damn. Mm-hmm. and if you imagine getting hit by that, what happens is you get a, what happens is you get, the psychological trauma from from uh, fear of loss through like witnessing loss and destruction, and then what happens is you get a Pavlovian association to detonation, which is very impressive. If, you, if like you've never been on heavy detonations and stuff, like they'll fucking rock your socks. So, oh so yeah, the, uh, take the wind yeah, out of you. You get that. You get that, uh, that association, and then. After your exposure, thousands and thousands and thousands of them, it's just like you you start. I mean, there's I've you know I've I've seen people in uh, you know in engineering field and stuff and modern demolitions get like uh, from, from the war you know get like sick feeling you know when like demo like even if they're stateside during demo and stuff like big shots and stuff uh, that's kind of common but we just don't have the level of uh, physical form of like World War One shell strike. They had a proper where it's like, you know, you can't fucking function you, you can't walk without like shaking and things like that. That's why they call it you know, a shock, like a shell shock. And it's basically just, you know, it's a it's a psychological uh like a like some kind of connection between psychology and physicality through trauma that makes people like uh hyper fucking stimulated to the point where they're just like over, you know, shaking and uh reacting to noise you know uh like uh uncontrollable you know it's like uncontrollable like very similar to parkinson's and shit like that shit i got physical i've seen that i got physical long-term damage just from shooting without ear pro a lot like i could only imagine what you know guys back then you know were having to experience well they definitely didn't have any fucking ear pro i'll tell you that (laughs) yeah no for sure (laughs) One thing that didn't help me, uh, and every once in a while I get uh, thrown off by a loud explosion. Uh, in the Navy, we have something called chaff launchers or uh, chaffs, which basically shoot out a whole bunch of aluminum uh, aluminum foil to be able to distract a uh, incoming missile from being able to hit the broadside of the ship. And they were doing uh, chaff launches when I was on the smoke deck, and one of them went out like a, a limp dud and basically went about three feet out of the barrel and dropped straight down and detonated eye level on the smoke deck. And, uh, yeah, I didn't have ear pro on at that time. 
And I don't know what's in those things, but I sure as hell got a mouthful of it. Um, Aluminum. (laughs) Yeah, that's still uh, up close explosions when I'm not ready. Yeah, when I'm not ready for uh, still catches me. So imagine, imagine like, imagine that except the fucking the shell is like the shitty ass, like, you know, half a cent pound picker acid explosive that they just are like sure like basically like dumping nations upside down to like manufacture this stuff and then just fucking like putting everything into it so they have the quantity so huge that they can just pepper bomb everything until it's saturated and kill everything and then like you know imagine like uh you know you just had you just had battles in world war one where there's so many people would die in a battle in like an instant you know it'd be like tens of thousands of men dying in like the stroke of like 20 minutes you know and the uh, the uh, when these GIs get back, they to like America in particular, they had what was called the uh, the bonus, which was uh, it's it's very uh, conveniently named. It's not a bonus; it's a deferred payment. Oh, that's right. It's a deferred yeah. payment for their services. So the government in World War One said, like, we'll pay you this, but we can't pay it all to you now. Well, oh my God, are you getting into? The slaughter, this is Eisenhower. Yeah, the slaughter of the American vets uh, here on yeah, our own soil. Eisenhower, Eisenhower is an American hero. I don't think he is, and this is why. And so I want I have to tell yeah. the story because if somebody was listening, they'd say, like, well, Doug's fucked up. Why does he not like Eisenhower? It's very easy. Uh, the reason I don't like Eisenhower is because I have to choose between do I like veterans or Eisenhower. That's not a fucking choice. Fuck Eisenhower. Now, the, uh, yep. yeah. the vets get – um, the World War One vets who had a pretty rough time, they all started dying prior. When Congress wrote the deferred payment, they they time scaled it very long. So these guys were going to be like, you were going to have like a like a somewhere around a seventy percent mortality rate was like projected for them getting their payments. And so like, yeah. And then you had the, you had like the Dust Bowl and shit like that, right? And uh, this was in the 30s, and so the uh, like and and Hoover like start you know crash like really wreaking havoc on the economy. You got the 29 crash, all this stuff is going on, and these are all guys from 1918 that were fighting, and a lot of them got phosgene exposure and shit like that. So these guys are like fucked up. Like a lot of them are fucked up. Anyway, they went out and protested in mass, tens of thousands of them on the White House lawn after Congress refused to uh, like give them a, a, an earlier payment and co- Congress refused. So they went and camped on Pennsylvania Avenue on the white house lawn and they stayed there and built shanty houses. They had uh, they did marches and parades where they were organized themselves. So these dudes were just like in rags and stuff. A lot of them didn't have anything and they came with their entire families. And so they were living on like, like wood shacks and stuff that they constructed down the street. And then they would do like parades and roll roll call and all this shit to keep like order. And the other thing that's really important to to note about it is that in world war one, you had bringbacks. So like these guys had like Maxim machine guns and fucking like, you know, bolt action, right. They had all the shit from world war one. These guys had, because they were, they were permitted to bring that stuff back. So, you know, they had it in their farmhouses and stuff. When, when, when they went to go do the protest, it was, like, unthinkable to have it be violent at all. So they didn't bring any weapons or anything like that. Like, they were going to petition their government because they still believed in the American system and shit. You know, they believed it was what yep. it was supposed to be. 
So anyway, they get shut down by Hoover. Hoover's the president. And then Hoover gets the, uh, the deploys the army on him. Well, Hoover, if you didn't know this, Hoover is a direct Rothschild asset uh, from California. And that's how he got to presidency. He's a, he's a very corrupt uh, historical figure in uh, the United States. And he became the president. He's also the, uh, he was also uh, in a bunch of foundations, uh, international foundations and uh, mining operations like gold mines. So Hoover, Hoover orders, oh. Hoover orders the, uh, the active army to deploy in Washington, DC on the streets to suppress the veterans uh, alongside with the police. So the DC police and the, uh, the active army, which had an element from cavalry, uh, they had, they had cav and they had uh, uh, MPs and I think infantry. And so in the cav you had, uh, and then they had an armored element, which would have been uh Patton, so uh, uh, Patton ran yep. the armored element, and then you had uh, uh, all of it was under MacArthur, and then MacArthur's aide was Eisenhower, and then they suppressed all the vets. Now the DC police were a little bit more like uh, rough with them, and they like shot a couple, they killed a couple of them. But there's lots of stories about like you know pretty significant injuries and stuff. They burned, they end up having, they burned all of their, uh, they wouldn't leave, right? So they wouldn't leave. That was the deal, and so the. Uh, they got more and more heavy-handed. They used CS gas on them. So you had, like, active army with gas masks deploying CS gas on vets. You had uh, under MacArthur and uh, Eisenhower. And uh, and you had uh, you had, uh, you had gas. They burned down all their shit. So their sheds and stuff got all burned down. They, um, they, they struck them with, like, uh, cav swords, like side strikes and stuff. And there's all kinds of really jacked-up stuff. And uh, and then what they did was it was such a publicity nightmare. Uh, uh, even back then, with like the limited press and stuff, just from the papers, it was such a publicity nightmare that the government petitioned people, influenced the government to petition to make like a labor camp for the vets. So they got like kicked the fuck out of D.C. So they're just like roaming the streets now, like walking around and dispersing. And uh, and then they were like, okay, we're going to make a labor camp in Florida and the Keys. And you guys are going to make – it was under the predecessor to FEMA. So FEMA didn't exist and it had a different name. They had a federal uh, work program that's very similar to prison, whereas, like, you go live in barracks and then, like, build stuff. And then you can, like, get – you know, it's basically like yeah. slave labor. So they give, you, they give you pay that's below the threshold, but it's, like, you know, constant pay. So it's, like, you constantly have work and you can – you can like out process if you want to. Well, all these guys don't have anything. So it's like, you know, and they're fucked up from being shell shocked and stuff. And so they're just going to hang out with each other and be vets for the rest of their life until they die. That's their only yeah. option. Now, didn't MacArthur open fire on these vets? I remember somewhere <laughs> around uh, them pushing Not them off with to guns. A the DC police shot them, shot a few of them in unarmed scuffles. Okay. So they're like unarmed and they have like fucking shooting them. The, uh, it's only it's mm. two of them. As far as I'm aware, there's two KIA, which is kind of it's kind of magnificent that it's that little. But you have a ton of injury, and you have a ton of uh, like a ton of like uh, I mean, they're using CS gas, which is like you know, it's kind of fucked up. Yeah. You know, it'd be like it'd be like if you were like uh, I don't know, like the modern era. It'd be like it'd be like if you set up like uh, like we have a decoy TNT and stuff, uh, like quarter stick TNT in the army that we use for training nowadays, 
where we use it to like simulate, simulate IEDs and shit. Yep. It'd be like if the police were just like popping off quarter sticks and stuff just to like, you know, be like, move along, you know, boom, and like setting that shit off right next to you, like a quarter, a quarter of TNT. Yeah, this, this is disgusting because they came back as heroes. Same as uh, World War Two, they came back as heroes. And then, uh, but in World War One, whenever they were looking for their deferred payment, they ended up uh, basically losing everything and then having to make big rocks into little rocks, um, you know, at these internment yep. camps, basically. And then the next set of um, uh, demoralization for our U.S. vets no, would no. be Vietnam. You missed one. This, and is, this right, is the fact. No, oh, no, no. Korean War? So these vets in Florida, right? So in Florida, they're there. Yeah. Uh, like, it's maybe, I don't, it's very short time. It's, it's a very, like, maybe a, a year, two years, something like that. After this, when they're down there in uh, Florida, one of the biggest hurricanes comes through Florida and kills 500 of them. So 500 men, 500 men oh, die yeah. in the Florida Keys. Um, and there's nothing, it's a, they're basically like the area, the, the entire area they're working in is set up as a government work camp. So there's like, there's not support staff, you know what I mean? To like, and they didn't have proper, uh, like they knew the hurricane was coming. They didn't have proper like evacuation procedures. So there's like, you know, most of them are there when the hurricane hit. They end up dying and uh, drowning like in the heat. And then the, uh, the fucking, uh, this is actually, this is where the poet Ernest Hemingway actually volunteered on the cleanup crew that went and recovered all the bedbugs. And it's one of, it's like a really interesting uh, uh, tie-in to this whole thing. We're starting to lose you a little bit. We can still hear okay, you, but uh, you're starting to drift off. You you're back. Okay, yeah, did you get the last part or did that cut out? Yeah, uh, with Ernest, uh, Ernest Hemingway going down there to do uh, relief aid uh, down in the Keys. All right, uh, we lost Dark. No, Dark's or, here. No, we lost Dugan. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll All be right. right back in a second. I think it seems like he's uh, muffled a little bit. Yeah, it was only at that last point. I'm I'm having to do my own uh, timestamps here, so I'm writing. Oh, there's Doug. Yeah, you're back. Okay. Uh, yeah. So so anyway, so 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 the, the in the Florida Keys, they get hit by a hurricane, they die. You know, a bunch of them die. Uh, the uh, Ernest Hemingway is in there as the cleanup crew. That's where he gets a lot of his uh, dark insight from that experience, and. Uh, this is like this is like the legacy. There's also there's a very interesting story of uh, Patton. Patton comes across uh, a guy who say who literally pulled his his uh, wounded body out of a tank in World War One in a tank battle. Uh, is one of the protesters and uh, Patton like has him arrested, which is very it's just very interesting, and. Uh, um, that's the story. Like that's that's so that's Eisenhower, you know. So, whatever whatever you think about you know following orders or whatever, there's just a certain element of uh, you know like we are not the government. The government is here to uh, facilitate our liberty as Americans, and that's that is the entire authority of it, not only the authority but the uh, 
the definitional foundation of what the United States is and in the, in the declaration of independence. And so when, uh, when you have, you know, government officials that are duty bound beyond their, uh, their, you know, their sense of, uh, justice like that in that, in that kind of extreme degree, it just really paints a picture of the type of people these are. And then when you further look at, you know, who are the people involved in the bonus army? It's Patton, MacArthur, and uh, Eisenhower. And, you know, out of that, you get, you know, a, a, like two five-star generals and, uh, and a president, you know? Like, that's not, that's not, uh, that's not a coincidence. Yeah. That's a, that is a pipeline. They didn't just get their own accent. Those are those are the poster boys of World War II. Like, name me somebody besides besides Audie Murphy or something like that. Name me somebody that is more well known with the era of World War II than Patton MacArthur or Eisenhower. They don't exist. Very true. That's it. They 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 are they were set up to be idols. And to be idolized by you know, by masses of people. Yep. And, and the reason why in, uh, the reason the why is because is because they were already with the program. You know, they're already with the program since World War One. You know, since like after post World War One, they're already in the program. All right. So base basically, um, you've laid it out there pretty clearly. You know, there is something before the military industrial complex taking over and having their way with our economy and our uh, our freedom, uh, our rights, our freedoms and everything of that nature and keeping us in these indefinite wars. And um, so what is what is the backing I I've seen and I've heard a lot about the Rothschilds and the. Uh, banking families from all the way from the 1500s, if not further back, uh, slowly influencing and buying countries and basically have told if you don't uh, if you don't side with us, if you don't allow us to basically finance you, we will finance somebody else. And yeah, I mean, you're you're uh, you're essentially describing, you know, exactly what the last thousand years have been of humanity. You know, if not before, I, I wouldn't know before because uh, record, you know, like record, historical record becomes sparse the further that you go back. And so, like, it's certainly it's certainly for a thousand years, you know, like it's it's certainly the the global uh, like change of societies and nations has has been attributed like the the actual energy that is driving it and the way that it's like reformed over and over again is through the mechanism like the broad or the broad uh i don't want to say mechanism the broad uh like function of what you just described like how you just described it that it's like uh we're going to loan uh we're going to loan to you you're going to take it and then you're going to owe us and if you don't if you don't go along with it then you're wiped off like you get replaced that, that is the that is the function yeah, yeah. of change and abroad so nothing nothing's been organic uh, uh for at least a thousand years everything has been not orchestrated in the in, back door yeah in terms of money in terms of people's decisions up. of course people make 
individuals make yeah. decisions for a myriad of reasons, uh, you know, and that's as deep as like the theories in psychology. But what what is behind that? Like what actually, uh, you know, motivates somebody? What is the uh, it, it's like a, it's almost like a uh, like a quantum vector of like uh, like having free will and then like uh, uh, like a, a coerced or a uh, bribed will. And the bride will is is uh, variable by the introduction, like the, the stimulation for money and like the need for money in a monetized society. You know, um, that is like it's like the the yeah. the fundamental motive to uh, cause people to behave irrationally, both on the individual level, but also in terms of like the macro level where you look at history and like, what the fuck are these people doing? It's economic. It's entirely economic. It's not, uh, there's just, there's no other way around it. Even if right. you look in uh, all the way to, you know, where we are right now with, with COVID and that's why, you know, all these people, they can't trust the numbers because everything is yeah. stimulated by, you know, financially. You know, like, uh, you know, doctors are, you know, documenting COVID deaths in motorcycle accidents because they get paid, you know, 13 to $30,000 per per COVID case. Like everything goes back to money, you know, regardless of the individual that's, that's, decisions that are. It's that a really good point. And, and it, it exemplifies the fact that, you know, like. Decade after decade, the things that people will be chatting about in their boardrooms and in their, uh, like their buzzwords that they're using for whatever the flavor of the month is, things change all the time. The only thing that is constant is the motivating factor, which is, which is, which is out of the people's control. If people, if people are not voting on their money. They're not having any kind of input on it at all. They're just getting money impinged into the supply. Into the supply. And then uh, they have no control over where it goes or what its effects are, nor do they have any tools for understanding it. They don't have the ability to understand it. They, have, they can go to school and have an economics major. That's a, that's a part of the control paradigm. Like they're not going to – you know what I mean? Because the, the – the, I mean the, the, the basic – if you go to the super macro level and try to in a, in a very broad stroke describe what world economics is, it is nothing. Like it is nothingness. It is it is the abyss. It is it is something that is abstract, which is a money or currency that's pulled out of nowhere and gets assigned value to a commodity that's like a real physical good or a commodity money, like a gold or something like that. And then it just it just permeates into everything. And then people go along with it and they're just like, Yeah, this is what we trade in, and this is you know, one plus one equals two. But it's not. Yeah. I think it was just this slow process of turning, you know, goods like actual necessities or actual, you know, luxuries, turning that into, you know, like having it align with something it's physical. Um, it's I don't physical. Even know how to describe it. The commodities, like physical. you know, how, the money is abstract. Like the money, yeah. it has a it has a placeholder, which is a currency that's printed, yeah. like a coin, or stamped like a or stamped like a coin, or printed like a fiat dollar, or something like a banknote. 
that part of it's physical. But what is actually there, like as you know, the dollar that you have now is not worth the dollar that you have when you know 30 years ago. They have completely different values. You call it inflation. That's a sign of the the money being uh, injected into circulation in high velocity with no with no tie-in to like physical objects and so you know commodities this is like yeah now i was gonna say isn't money supposed to be um the physical representation of energy so if i were to you know build this house it takes me x amount of years but if i were to you know uh save up my money i can pay somebody else to do it uh it's a physical representation of uh labor of energy that's what i remember hearing the right. original well, that's value okay of it's a trick was. answer right it is the physical representation of energy if you want it to be <laughs> it's not it's not in that it's arbitrary right. the assigned value is arbitrary and always has been and the entire historical uh, chronology of money is nothing but an endless series of nations making currency and the currency going to, you know, kaput. And then the, the money's not worth anything and then they have to make a new money. And that's, I mean, it's just uh, the entire history of money. Like the recorded history of money is that the, the only thing that is uh, approximately more stable are like commodity monies like gold and silver. But what you have to understand is that they're no different. The reason that the, the commodity money is like gold and silver, the reason that they seem more stable is because they're used as the reciprocal of the more like volatile currencies. So like when the dot, you know, when you have a currency that crashes and it's not worth anything, people jump to a commodity money because commodity money is like the older money, like the old specie coin is typically metal. Uh, and they did away with like all of your, you know, less, uh, less, uh, more common metals. And they only kept your rare metals like gold, silver, things like that. You know, those would be the most, the most common ones. And so people erroneously assume that those are like perfect. Like, like a gold is always a gold. It's not, it just seems that way because the resolution that you're considering it is a longer time span. So when you look at it and you're like, well, you know, a gold, uh, an ounce of gold bought a suit in, you know, 1600s and an ounce of gold will buy a nice suit now. And that's like approximately the same. That's true. But there was a time when gold wasn't worth any money. It is, it is a, it is a, you know, it is, uh, it does have scarcity in terms of its relativity to how much is in circulation, how much has been harvested. And that is true. But it is still, it's exactly the same thing as fiat. It's just a different physical form. And the reason that it is especially maintained its uh, stability is because every single time a currency crashes, the gold and the silver commodity money is used as like the springboard to jump off of, to then jump back into a new currency and say, okay, here's just like the dollar. When the dollar came out as a banknote, it used right. to be backed by gold, then silver. Now it's back. So basically, gold is the long con, and they're still using it because they have uh, nobody's turned it on its head yet. One thing, one thing, uh, kind of jumping a little 
off uh, off the topic, but still on the topic is I've done a lot of uh, research, uh, you know, years back when Gaddafi was still a living, breathing person. And uh, he was the, the richest man in Africa. Come to find out, he had the largest underground uh, river system, man-made, to be able to supply water throughout his region and then uh, incorporate it to go to other people's regions. But he basically told the U.S. and all these uh, fiat currency pushers, you know, you guys can step the hell off. We're doing it our way and we don't need your help. Uh, and then all of a sudden he got turned into a tyrant and basically we went in there uh, or allowed other people to go in there to basically uh, kill him and destroy all these things that he set up. And he was actually poised to be uh, uniting a lot of uh, northern Africa uh, under one uh, one shield, essentially, uh, that wasn't going to be following the yeah, uh, I mean, I, the world uh, I, the world banking. System. I don't know anything about the uh, Have you heard like about the, that or their seen water situation. Yet? That I don't know about the money situation. I do. I have heard tons of stuff about that. I'm not as familiar with Gaddafi on his side of it. I am familiar with it on in terms of like State Department stuff, like Clinton and stuff. And they absolutely did a you know, I mean, it's a number. You know, they did all they did a a hit job on Gaddafi. I mean, that's exactly what it was. And it's a part of the process they were building to uh, like a highly efficient model to flip countries, you know, and that's, that's a part of the overall strategy of color revolutions where like the modern version of color revolutions, where they just went around and played musical chairs with the, you know, Middle East nations. And, you know, it resulted in what you have now, which is like, you know, the, the, the Syrian instability is where we're at. Uh, was still, you know, protracted warfare. And then, uh, like, Iran poised to, like, you know, flip their shit, you know? Yeah. We weren't able to go in there and flip Iran. So uh, didn't uh, didn't the Soviets or Russia, whoever you want to call them now, uh, didn't they back Iran um, yeah, at one point the, when the U.S. was trying to go well, in there? Well, I mean, they backed them in... Uh, well, I mean, I think during the Iran-Iraq war, I think the you have 80s, like I know 80s, that I think I know that I mean I think it was both sides. So I think you get I think you get like both both the Warsaw Pact countries and the uh, NATO countries backing both sides, and it was just a real mess. You know, like Iraq had tons of like West German ordnance and stuff. Most of the gas that Iraq used in the Iraq-Iran war is like European origin. The uh, you know, they have obviously they have like lots of AKs and that's going to be from Comblock countries. And they have uh, European weaponry. And then same. I think it's the same thing with Iran, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I know that I know that Iran has been, you know, Iran is Persia and Iran yeah. has been uh, they've been trying to take down Iran for a long time. And it's kind of I think the only reason that it hasn't happened yet is because it's such a pivotal hinge point that's so important. And so. uh it's so dangerous if you fuck it up. Like if you, if you go after Iran, you have to finish them and like wipe them out. And if you don't do that, then it's very dangerous because Iran is so large and they have such a uh, diffused, like, uh, like the, the historical tie between people, not just in Iran, but in the entire region is so interconnected and alliances and things like that, that if you fuck that up, it's like you could, you could, you know, break the dam and, and have, like Iran just take over the Middle East. And so I think that's why, yeah. I think that's, you know, and then the only way that you could stop that is to just go in there and kill everybody. Well, 
nobody wants to do that, you know, except for one country. And so the, <laughs> and so it hasn't happened. So it hasn't happened at all. And it's just been on this like teeter totter <laughs> where, where the rest of the world is becoming like unstable. And then it's constantly like, and can we go after Iran? And can we go after Iran? No. Okay. Okay. Can we go after Iran now? You know, and that's just like, I mean, that's like the past fucking 70 years. You know, it kind of seems like their dollar is yeah. more stable than ours. I might want to be investing in their currency. Go ahead, Dark. <laughs> Dude, I got about, I got about a hundred. I was just gonna say, I got about a hundred thousand dollars of Iraqi dinar. So, uh, <laughs> just in case, uh, you know, their civil war pans out, and in my favor with that, well, I'll, uh, I can tell you, we'll split so, it between us three. How about that? I did so one time in Iraq and Ramadi. There was this. Uh, I was switching out an OP and uh, I was an engineer, but in Iraq, they pretty much make everybody infantry. That's uh, like combat arms. You're just, you're just going to be doing infantry role because of the troop. Uh, oh, for, for, an, uh, for an observation post. So OP? like an OP, an OP would be like an established, like let's say that you got a major highway, right? Or you know how cops sit on like overpasses uh, on uh, on ramps or whatever to uh, try to catch speeders. It's yeah. like the military version of that. So you have like you have like areas where you have you can have Overwatch and uh, open fields of fire to have a uh, you, you know uh, like the ability to apply lethal force quickly and to be able to maneuver uh, to either exfil or infill quickly. And these are set up strategically through a city or like a, a municipality with a population, so that you create an effect. You create like you create a data or like a a uh, like a grid with with approximately over overlapping areas of uh, of operation, and the the OPs are like the static points, and then they can, you know they have comms so they can communicate. So if like for instance, if you have like a car driving by one, you can call up the next OP that's like east or west or north or whatever, and you can say, hey, you have this car going there, and then it goes by there, and then they call it up and whatever. You can track a lot of stuff. You can keep track of like who's it was at the time there were IDs fucking everywhere. There were, I mean, we had times, we had times where we would go out and uh, do missions. Like we had missions where we would go out like, you know, 3 a.m. in the morning on like a city intersection. There's no light at all. So it's all blackout, like no, you know, very tight light discipline. You don't want anybody to see that you're there. And then we would go around with infrared light and like scan for like try to find fucking IEDs. And we would pull the motherfuckers out. Sometimes when we would pull them out, there would be other IEDs underneath them from guys that were there before them that got killed or whatever. And they left the ID and then they got covered by dust or whatever, and trash on like the side of the road. And then somebody else would come along and like rig another ID on top of it, not even know the other one was there. And that's how dense it was. It was just fucking crazy. But anyway. I was hearing, I was hearing from a couple of my uh, combat vet buddies talking. As soon as one blew up, and you know the troops ended up uh, uh, expelling out of the area, they were literally putting another one right in that same hole, and then putting the rubble back in. That's how they knew uh, there was yeah. another IED there because they were like, Didn't "Yeah, we just the, get the, blown up the, yesterday." So in that spot? I'll just, I have, well, I have a story that's exactly like, but the the so so these uh, these OPs right. <laughs> We had an OP. We were going up on it to switch out 
a uh, infantry unit. The infantry had they had uh, they were like mech infantry, so they had a Brad. Like it's a it's a Bradley fighting vehicle. It's got coax machine guns and a uh, 25 millimeter cannon on it, a gun. And there was a yeah, and they uh, and they had a uh, there was a yeah, taxi driver that was not from the city, so he didn't know. Like everybody in the city knows where the OPs are. So like if you live there. You fucking know where they are because when you walk outside, there's a giant fucking tank outside, you know, and it's there every day. So, like, you know where it's at. So, they, you know, they get established as, like, you know, standoff and stuff. Like, you wouldn't want to, you know, if you didn't know this, if there's if you're being occupied by a foreign enemy, you probably don't want to, like, go there and fuck with their tank or anything. You just stay back a little bit. And uh, the people that live there know that. Well, this taxi driver didn't know that because he's not from the area. So he's, like, you know, probably hasn't been to Ramadi for, like, you know, a couple of years, like two years or something. And he doesn't know there's a tank on this corner. And so he's like whipping and dipping through these alleys as a shortcut because he's high speed. You know, he's, he's a good, good, good cabbie. Anyway, he turns, he turns this corner and he drives right up like, you know, within like 30 feet of a, of a Bradley. Well, this is like at the time, you know, like, you know, basically vehicles are getting stuffed with high explosives and detonated on vehicles. They call it a vehicle borne improvised explosive device, VBID. And uh, so anyway, so the protocol for this is like you just zap a car. So if somebody, you know, if somebody comes driving up on you, the automatic assumption is that like they're coming with, you know, 2000 pounds of high explosives to detonate it next to your vehicle to knock out your armor. So like as soon as, as, soon as this guy whips the corner, he just gets hit with coax. Yeah. And uh, he, he actually ended up living. He ended up living because we, we pulled up there and they were shooting and we pulled up and we were supposed to rotate out of them. So the Brad was supposed to leave and we were going to sit there and, take over the ship well as we're pulling up we hear coax going off we're like whoa fuck see a fucking smoking taxi cab like right in front of bradley I'm like what the fuck and uh and then we have like a lot we have like a megaphone on our uh humvee and so we're like you know uh some of and some of us spoke arabic and stuff so we're like get the fuck out of the taxi you know like uh and he got out not arabic and so he got he got, you got you know, Farsi, right? And shit like that. Put up your hands. And uh, oh, so okay, he gets okay. out of the uh, he gets out of the uh, taxi. So he's still alive. We know that he's alive because he stood up. And then he gets out. And then we're like, uh, there's probably high explosives. And then we're like, get the fuck over here. <laughs> and he, you know, I laugh. He's just so fucked up. You know, like I I don't. The whole situation is bad. <laughs> I feel terrible. I feel terrible about Iraq. We should never yeah. go to Iraq. Okay. I just want to establish yeah. that for anybody that isn't familiar with me. It's a travesty. I was I was 21 years old when I went. The uh, so so he he comes walking over to the uh, to the uh, Humvee, and uh, amazingly, and then we counted. Uh, he got hit with eight uh, 7.62 rounds from the sternum down to his thigh because he's sitting down. Yeah, because he's sitting down in the taxi. He so we had our oh doc with us. He's riding in the Humvee, so we had the doc get Dude. out and he plugged him up, and then he was good to go. And we we evac him with a shit the the uh like some uh officer came down there because it was like a shooting incident and uh he came down there and then he was doing the like fall and assessment like recording everything and the uh like somehow they recorded that like he had like whatever money he had in his pocket like the emptiest pockets and put it into a ziploc bag and then tape it to the stretcher right and then somehow in this stuff they were like the officer I think it was like a maybe like a first lieutenant or something like that, and he's like, he's like getting on comms, and he's like, he's like, okay, this man had like you know five hundred thousand 
denier on him. And then, uh, and then like the, whoever knows about it is like, yeah, Roger. And he's like, okay, we need positive control of that. Like, uh, where is that denier? Like, we don't have, we don't have inventory of it. And he's like freaking out and stuff. Like, I mean, it's taped to the stretcher. He just doesn't know this. In like 500,000 Iraqi deniers worth like $5 or something like that at the time. You know, it's just like a very, it's like a very, he's like thinking that's like a million dollars. It's nothing because of the inflation. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know that's right. So the the officer is over there he's, just freaking out, thinking that he's actually he's worried. The officers thinking the officers coming in there white night and thinking that the infantry is like swiping money for like a cheap thrill to like send back home or whatever and going to get rich. That's what he's thinking. So he's like he's like putting the foot down, positive control over the you know the man's property. Mm. Like where where's the man's property at? The, the guy's property's fine. We, you know, there's like they had solid protocol on how they like duct tape the shit so that it's like connected to the person. The uh, the uh, the money just isn't. You know, it's like pocket change. You know, it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of bills. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that in the military, whenever you do get into a conflict or a firefight, there is there are investigations that go on, and they think it's yeah, right. They think it's more wild west. They they glorify and they fantasize about it, and they don't realize you know there there's quite a few times when you're literally having to talk to uh, it's it's uh, it's literally it's like I can describe you the process. It's like um. Just like anything, uh, you know, it, it, it's analogous to everything in, in humanity. Like, if you put up regulatory control, what happens is people maneuver their behavior to to make it less intrusive, no matter what it is, whether it's like taxes, whether it's, it, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing in the military. So what happens is they came out with ROE in uh, like 2007. They started uh, having ROE in Iraq, like rules of engagement, rule, uh, escalation of force, uh, uh, EOF is what they call it, escalation of force. So escalation of force is, yep. became this huge thing. But what happened was in the legal language of how they introduced it, like it would, it, you know, when they first introduced it, it was just like, well, what? Like, don't shoot anybody? Like what? And they're like, no, just you have to escalate the force. You have to like, you know, show, like yell at them first and then tell them whatever. And then, you know, and then you can shoot. You know, you have to, fly, you have to wave a flag at them and then you can shoot them, you know, if they don't listen. But if they don't, but if they do listen, don't shoot them. You know, like that. Well, obviously that that went. You know, people that are innocent yeah, are just going to comply immediately, and then uh, like people that aren't innocent are not going to comply, and that's you know like how. It but the uh, the uh, or innocent is the wrong word. People people that aren't engaged in combat, people that aren't aren't engaged in defending their country because they're Iraqis, <laughs> are are they they comply immediately. Uh, pretty much unless they're pissed off, which is understandable because we're like parked in their backyard. Uh, but pretty much besides that, the only people that aren't complying are combatants. And so it's like, that's kind of how it went. But when they started this, when they started this uh, escalation of force, how it manifested and ended up after uh, people like started uh, dealing with it in the military, it would be like you would get in an engagement, right? And you would, uh, you would you would say uh, you know if you if you got into engagement like out on the highway or somewhere in route Michigan you'd be like yeah okay I you call up after you'd be like call up the task force you'd be like okay 
you know, I fired, uh, you know, like 85 rounds from the 249 saw and then specialist, uh, you know, John Doe shot, you know, 10 rounds from his M4 or whatever. And you give like a round count. We, we, we shot one, you know, AT4 rocket or whatever. And so you would say like all the ordinance that you did and they'd be like, okay, you have uh, like KIA and then you'd be like, uh, you know, you say like what, you know, losses or whatever. And then they'd be like, all right, come into the talk afterwards, task force talk, and then uh, give, give a uh, report or whatever. And then you go in there and then they'd be like, okay, so escalation of force. And then how it ended up being was like, if you used escalation of force, if you did show, shout, shoot, then they had to pull a report. If it was an immediate threat, like, like we were immediately threatened, they, you know, whatever they pull up on us, they, whatever they could, they were coming right for us. Right. If you had an immediate threat, escalation of force was not necessary. And then there was no report necessary. So then what ends up happening is that everybody, no matter if they're using escalation of force or if they're just like, you know, sitting around and somebody comes in there and starts shooting up the place and they shoot them, no matter what the case, everybody just says, I didn't use escalation of force. Then you don't get a fucking report written and that's how the whole thing developed obviously i mean if you if you put in rules like that that automatically comes to the surface you know like that's how it, gotcha. it, it just it permeates everywhere because it's easy because you don't want you know, like why would you want to go give a report you know yeah completely understand on that we had a um, a marine. We we were traveling through the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal is how you get from the Mediterranean to the uh, some ocean. to the other side I don't of Africa. I don't have my uh, uh, what is that? The Indian Sea. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, I need good, to get my. It's atlas. a good uh, sign was, if you uh, don't you know, know the oceans know that I've we don't have any business. <laughs> Right. So we're going through, we're actually, we're coming back. This is my last uh, deployment. And uh, on uh, the ship in front of us was a destroyer. And that was our uh, escort ship. I was on a, uh, a flagship, basically second fleet flagship command ship for the whole Atlantic fleet. We ran um, uh, joint task force operations off of our ship. We had Iraqi, Afghani, you name any country that's over there or part of the uh, the war that's uh, sympathetic to our side, they were on our ship. We would uh, come up with all the plans to be able to fire off uh, Tomahawk cruise missiles, and basically it all uh, all the thumbs up came from my ship. Uh, but we're going through, and uh, on one of these sand berms, because you know the uh, the Suez Canal at certain points are is not very wide. Um, somebody pops up over a berm with an RPG and, uh, on the lead ship in front of us, destroyer, uh, a Marine was actually on weapons mount and opened up with the 50 cal. You see rounds hitting the berm and then you see a red mist and the guy just drops, you know, on the other side of the berm. Um, that Marine ended up going up for court martial. He spent, I want to say six months, uh, in the brig. And then was doing a little bit of jail time because uh, rules of engagement. He ends up uh, getting cleared of all charges because he saved, uh, uh, you know, U.S. property and lives and uh, ends up getting a, uh, a medal and sent right back up to the front lines. I, I thought that was a, a horrible way to, to be able to protect it is, one of our, it is uh, and it, one of and our it own really, that just like saved, it, you know, it shows the duality lives. of like the 
you know, this entire, this entire situation. So on one hand you have like, should we even be there? Is it in our interest? Well, you know, I would argue that most people didn't even know the places that we're at. So it's not in our interest, obviously. If you don't, if you don't know, the, if you're not concerned with the places that you're fighting wars, then it's not your interest logically, like necessarily, yep. right? Because if it was, you would know. On one hand, then you have that. On the other hand, you have like uh, gimping going on where people are getting their hands tied behind their backs. They're getting uh, like, you know, pressure from, for uh, like they're being they're being played into it you know and then you get and then you get the forces that were fighting like in the country like maybe even like maybe the iraqis in certain areas are like like we're not even going to fight you know like we don't even care and then uh and then you would get forces brought in you would get you know the local forces would get stimulated with training with weapons things like that uh the infamous efps explosively formed penetrator uh, explosive, improvised explosive devices that were effective against armor and stuff uh, with the background story of like Iran is uh, giving them the technology you know uh, all these things get like uh, they get made and then and then now you have a situation where it's like your pressure is increased because you're getting hit more effectively uh, like in a, in a in a broad picture and then you're also you're also having to navigate regulatory control of like how you defend yourself, you know? So it's like it, to me, it, it, it paints a more clear picture of uh, like what is really going on here, which is the, which is the destabilization of the United States in all aspects, both domestic what's going on here now with uh, in the present era with, uh, you know, uh, you know, counterfeit money being pumped into the fucking economy from everywhere. Uh, Congress signing off on bills that are like putting us into debt oblivion. Um, you know, contract, uh, like contract guarantee, all kinds of socialist monetary policies, um, uh, subsidies, like all we're getting hit from all fronts. And then when you go back to like the war eras, it's like the same thing is going on, just applying stress in these creative ways to, you know, destabilize things. Right. Because it's the, the reality is that it's like, you look at the big picture and you're like, what, what are we there to do? We're there to hit the country and fucking topple it, you know, and clear it out of any resistance. Like that's, that's what the United States did. And it doesn't, you know, you don't have to paint a picture on it like with a smiley face, you know, and flowers. That's, that's what fucking happened. That's what we were fucking there to do. And that's what ended up happening. And so, you know, there's no need. Like, why why have escalation of force anyway? Why have all the, you know what I mean? Like, you're just killing people in the aggregate. You know, you're taking a country that's not yours. You're knocking out their leader and you're killing a bunch of people. So why paint a rosy picture on it, you know? And, uh, and that's the rosy picture is the justification of escalation of force and shit. Yep. And everybody... In the theater, all the military that's active, actively involved in it just goes with the flow. They're just like, okay, you know, like there's no ability to ask questions or anything. It's just nobody is in control. It's nobody is in control of shit. You just have the, the higher up the command you go, the more ass lickers they are. And the yep. higher I remember, the higher you get up, times, the more they get paid. Uh, we're not paying you to think; we're paying you to do. You know. Yep. 
it's it, it it's all coming down to a head. I mean, we can see that in our country. I mean, you can see that around the world. We've been the global ass kickers and the global bullies for you know the longest time. Um, you know, putting our boots in other people's uh, asses essentially for them to conform and fall in uh, to these fiat currencies and be a part of the um, you know this new global system. Um, and we talked on one of the other uh, platforms about the uh, the Great Reset. And, you know, I've been talking about that and looking into it for years about um, us going from the fiat currency to a digital currency where now everything is tracked, traced, and, you yeah. know, there's a receipt and you don't have a choice. everything. And it's, it doesn't uh, matter what you it's do, like, there's a receipt. You know, you now. look at the dollar, you went from, you know, Hey, we're using, uh, you know, initially they used colonial script, you know, colonial script was a fiat that worked only because of the isolation of the United States. And then immediately what do they do? They start exporting and importing. And then when you start exporting, importing on a currency that you control, it works while it, you have positive control over it. As soon as you trade enough and you get enough trading going, it's like opening up a valve and your, your pressure's equalize you get an equilibrium where with with whoever you're trading with and you lose control of the value of your currency because if you're trading you know if you're trading something like if you're buying something on a contract you know some uh gadget unit by x number thousand units or whatever and then you're paying a fixed price for it well it's like you know you have no control over how many of those units are in circulation how many of them get pumped in if somebody comes and sells them at a lower price so you don't have control over any of these things when you're doing like a like a international trading on behalf of, of a nation state and so you you're really vulnerable to uh to like having your currency affected because it's it's not in isolation if you're trading it's it's an algebra equation you know and your the value of your money is directly related to every unit of uh, value, regardless of what it is, like every physical object that's being traded in your system affects the value. You know what I mean? And and simultaneously, while that's going on, every unit of your currency that is in circulation also affects the value rel relative to the ratio between physical objects and your currency. And that's the like that's the basis of money. And so, in colonial script. You're, you're, you know, it's effective and it's able to grow the country for one, because the people that we're trading with that really have all the cards don't have any interest at all, except for to promote trade so that we open up our economy so they can get it. That's it. That's the only, their only, so the more that they give you a good deal and, uh, like give you favorable trade terms, yep. the, the, the more you're going to do it. And then you're going to open up and lose control of your currency. Well, to get in, right. And so, surprise, we explode with colonial currency. just a way to be able to infiltrate. And it very quickly, like, especially after yeah. Lincoln, you get the consolidation of the United States and the, uh, you know, you know the story of, like, Greenback and all that stuff, and then it goes into a dollar. Now you get, you get the dollar. Originally, it's gold-backed, then it's silver-backed, then it's fucking, like, fractional-backed. Yep. Now it's, like, nothing. And then you get credit cards, plastic, and silicone through computer chips where – your money's not even a physical thing. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a, an abstract digit on a, on a computer. And this is, this is like the future. And so what they want to do now is that they're, they're, they're playing, you know, they're dancing between the physical currency 
and this digital currency idea, yeah, the, and they want to transition completely into digital for control to have record of everything that you can't exchange as an individual. You can only exchange in a partnership with the money with with the money makers. You know, they have they have to approve of everything, and the only the only thing that you know if, if you can't take that on faith, you know, the only thing that you have to uh, Prove this is exactly the behavior of all the money processors now, like PayPal and eBay. They choose, you know, Amazon. They choose what is kosher and what is not. So if you're if you're selling gun parts, for instance, they can say like, "Well, we don't want you to sell gun parts," even though it's perfectly legal in your nation. And even though when you're selling on Amazon, like you're going to be dealing with American citizens, they dictate the the law. You know, like they dictate the regulatory control through economics, and they get ahead of the law that they're then going to lobby with the gun control law and stuff. And they establish the precedent for the public to get used to the way that it is. And then they just slowly boiling, boiling frog you in the direction that they want you to go, uh, like regardless of how long it takes. Because it doesn't matter if it doesn't work this year or this, you know, four year presidential term. It doesn't matter because they've got the next. Yeah, they're chipping away slowly at it and giving uh, giving receipts to Congress, the American people, to say, look, you know, uh, we've been doing this and we've been trying to, to back this for the longest time. And look, you know, pat us yeah. on the back. We've been here well, they're to not gonna use that language, help, but that's, uh, roll that in is, some dude, new uh, draconian that laws. Is what, that is you're not you're not ever going to get the door to door knockdown stuff until it's preceded by, you know. Hegemonic establishment through money. They're going to use money first to 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 get it actualized because that is the way everything is motivated. Unfortunately, because because everyone in the world, especially in the United States, chooses money. We yeah. could choose to have a nation and have law and follow our law, and we could choose when they when when law gets changed and they say something that's illegal, you could just not do it. But because people choose money, they're not going to fight. You know, it's, a, it's incentivized. It's like incentivized to go along with the flow. And that's exactly how we've gone, you know, particularly, particularly arms. Like arms are such a big deal. Guns are such a big deal. Weapons are such a big deal. Not only because, not only because of the establishment of the United States through re- rebellion and using them. And, and Lexington and Concord being about, you know, ammunition storage and, and cannon storage. It's it's like it's such a big deal because it it is it is like the exact thing that we're going to use to fight war. It's no Am I wrong? Am I clear? You're, we're starting to lose you. I turned my phone. I guess it's yeah. a bad angle. So, uh, a little yeah, so not only not only is uh you know the this. I mean, we have a Second Amendment right after the First Amendment related to arms with uh, with a well-regulated militia being necessary. And the word necessary is used very seldomly in the uh, Bill of Rights. And not only that, not only do we have a Declaration of Independence that's entirely made possible by fighting with arms, and not only was the first engagement at Lexington Concord about powder ball and uh, ammunition storage and cannons, not only all of that, 
the arms angle is exactly what any hope of of uh, America to regain its independence and fight world government, they will use those things. And so for the past hundred years, it's been nothing but an onslaught of world government imposing gun control and saying saying that they're not. And it's not just gun control. It's resource and and uh, uh, supply line control to where it's like, we're going to take over everything. Uh, we're going to send away all of your ability to organically produce things so that you can't just like whip up a new, you know, weapon system or whatever, because you, you haven't done it for decades and you're, you don't know how to do it anymore. We've sent all that shit into like chopped up into little parts. So you get one part of here and one part of here from a different country and you don't have any control over, you don't have control over when your parts come in. You don't have control over the minerals that make the parts and when that factory gets them. Like we've lost all of that and it's all for the purpose of weakening us so that we can't fight when the fighting comes. Like all of this is connected. It's all a tactical strategy and it's coming to a head. And the American people are uh, very naive. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. A lot of people don't see what's going on. And going back to the, the First and Second Amendment, you know, I, I, I try to be a little humorous about it. Hey, if words don't work, you know, you got to start shooting. Uh, that's why we have the first, uh, the first Amendment is to talk it out, try to do everything peaceably. And then the Second Amendment is there when things aren't going peaceably and we actually need to take a stand and uproot, you know, uh, the weeds in the garden, essentially. And now the whole garden is weeds. We don't have any production. We don't have any fruits. We don't have anything coming out of our garden. It's just, you know, an influx of weeds, insects, and, you know, um, blight and pestilence coming through. And we're being sold this, and, you know, everybody's eating, you know, this, this spoonful of shit, and we're being told it's sugar. And after such a long time, you know, we're tasting it, and we're like, yeah, man, that tastes sweet as hell. But we don't see the things that we're losing every single day and the indoctrination uh, that they're putting our kids through, which are slowly taking over this country. And you just keep on influencing, you know, the younger generation and it keeps on breeding and breeding until it, it turns into our kids are literally lobbying for these things to disappear. They don't even have to do anything anymore. You know, they've set it in place for you know the next generations to be fighting uh these unethical fights and completely um devaluing our system and our our country's pride and our economic standpoint and you know the world government is a is a scary thing to think about um i've tried telling people you know if you don't if you think that we are set why does our country rely on a foreign bank to divvy out our money and be able to set financial rates and stuff. And then on top of it, why is it we can't find out who's, you know, on the board of directors or anything to do with the, uh, the federal reserve? We're not allowed to look into it. We're told basically turn around and look the other way. There's been presidents and politicians that have been, you know, um, assassinated essentially anytime they bring up, you know, looking into the, uh, the fed, um, I, I just don't understand how people can't open their eyes and see, but 
you know, you look and you see everybody has a cell phone in their hand or they're watching MSM or, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians. And then you can kind of understand and realize yeah. why people don't see, why people are um, basically being lulled back to sleep. Well, it goes back to exactly what we were talking about before. Like, not only is it, you know, everything you spoke about, like societally and what, you know, our people are being programmed with. Yeah, but the money is also just, is the you know, conduit for all of it. And so it, it money it brings up. Now, you can you can look up stuff with the Fed. You can look up the Federal Reserve. But what you can't do is you can't you can't trace it to like why you can't trace it to like, you know, you can't trace it to like, OK, but then who tells them what to do? I mean, it'd be the IMF like they they answer the IMF. But then you go into the IMF and you're like, OK, well, who tells the IMF to do? And then it's just it just becomes this like, well, you know. We don't talk about that. We're the, you know, it's an egalitarian, democratic, you know, global process where, you know, we just have some kind of streamlined fucking, everybody agrees on the same thing. We don't know where the point of origin is for the direction. And that's. How do you start outing these people? How do you start essentially doxing the the people that are behind pulling well the you follow that, money you know so you, you, back, you backtrace about, money and money support about. but how do you end up starting to bring what's them more to important life? than that is that you could spend a lot of time doing that and all that you're going to do the entire time is use it uh, uh an isp that you don't know that someone else owns and you don't know who it, who it is you can use a web browser that's written and sold and uh bought by a company with a staff that you don't know you're going to power the computer that you're searching on with power from your power company that's tied in and dependent upon the system. You're going to, you know, it just goes, it just goes on and on and on. It is a lost cause to fight that way. The way that you fight is by the individual action. Like you have to make individual uh, actions yourself to, to shape the way that you're connected to, to unplug, to unplug in the things that you can and particularly in, in your dependencies. Like the only reason that all these things got bought up and everything's under apex control is because people didn't provide things for themselves. And because they, they got accustomed to the idea that I'm not supposed to provide this for myself. I'm supposed to get it as a service. And uh, we're very far from providing for ourselves. Now at one time we did provide everything, you know, like, like in the founding of the United States, the people provided everything for themselves. Now we are in a state of absolute dependence. Yep. And uh, the unfortunate, like you, you, you cannot fight the system by using the system and its assets to try to like get some kind of angle on it. That's not going to work. What people need to realize is that the actual human potential and the human soul, the energy of like a person, of a being, of who they really are, is the gold. Like that is the real gold. Your relationship to other people, your existence, is where all value for any kind of currency is established. And you have the, the, the absolute ability and right to choose how much of that you sacrifice and give away and forfeit to your master by participating. And the further that you get away from it, the more powerful you become. But you lose things. You don't get Netflix. You don't get, you know, you don't get the Netflix black.com documentary that they're pumping out you don't get you know you don't get the uh, you don't get the paypal you don't get the fucking you know the high speed <laughs> fucking 5g internet you don't yeah. get that stuff when you do that 
And so if they can trick you into thinking that's what you need, which is not, then, you know, you're dependent. It's like if you're getting something that you don't control and someone else can, can turn off the valve and turn on the valve whenever they want for whatever reason, they can say, we're literally going to turn off your power because you're not COVID compliant and you're having a party. And so we're going to turn off your power and then uh, see how you feel about that. See how you like they did, but you see, they yeah, can't. Didn't they do that in they California? They would shut so they're off forcing your water the COVID compliance, had, uh, which no one wants house. to do. But people are doing it out of Dude. Stockholm syndrome, and nobody wants to talk about how how tyrannical it is. Nobody wants to discuss that. They want to talk about the health risk and and how like you know you're immoral if you don't follow the procedures the guidelines it's like dude this is a fucking i mean we're, we're this is this is the first phase of absolute world tyranny and it's never going to stop like it it is not going to stop it is just going to continue to escalate like if you think shit's going to go back to normal you're fucking in the clouds man like you're basically going to be chick in a game of chicken between like are you going to fight to the death <laughs> or are you going to comply and that's that is like the game of chicken that the entire world's playing, and they don't even know that that's what they're playing. They haven't figured out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they don't even know. You're on a huffy they don't even know they're on a huffy bike. They think they're on. Bradley. They think that it's fucking egalitarian <laughs> right and fucking an equal on democracy. Like there's no right democracy now. here. They are. They are tricking you just like when you trick cattle by feeding them and you give them some feed, and they're like, "Wow, I really like this." this fucking corn, this corn feed. Like you're not getting that shit. Because they, they don't, they're not giving it to you because you like the flavor of corn. They're giving it to you because it's what's going to make you compliant. So that you get, end up putting in this kill sheet so you can get harvested. You know, they want to put you in this. Corn box. Yeah. That's the beauty of this system. It's the ultimate false sense of control for the populace for the masses it's it's the false sense of of liberty and right now in maryland which you know the people's republic of maryland which is right on the border of uh, a state that uh, yeah. i'm close to um they they have volunteer covid compliance teams and they're being given gopros and like they can literally go poke a gopro in your window yeah. see you know how yeah. many cars are outside your house and i mean this it's getting to a a, a whole nother level it's crazy isn't this what they were doing in nazi germany they were having the people go around and outing their it's more like soviets teaching but yeah. your kids to out you if you were doing something against the the party <laughs> what the what did the soviets do i i, I know that they did Quite well, basically, the, the, wars, like, but, so um, the Soviet uh, Union, the, the, it goes back well to World War I. So the, the a lot of people uh, don't understand issues. because basically, like, like the the public narrative of what World War One is is like, well, you know, we just had this big war, and uh, there were like, uh, you know, uh, oil barons and stuff, you know, in the United States. And then there was a war in Europe, and then like, we don't really know what it was all about, but like, a lot of people died, and that was really bad, and like, violence is bad, like, no violence, really, no, no. No phosgene gas or mustard gas. No mustard gas. That's what people know about World War One. World War One and World War Two are the same war. It is complete. They are interconnected entirely yeah. for almost, or not for almost, for every single nation involved. Not only the United States, 
not only Germany, not only Russia, not only France, not only England, every nation that was involved in World War One and World War Two, it, it is a continuation of the same story in in a uh, delayed sense of where like, there's unfinished business and it ends up like causing World War Two to to produce. And the, yeah, and the bankers too. It's like unfinished. It's like unfinished business on the on all sides. And the cover stories of the like why it's family. happening is like the the the, co- the fake propaganda stories of like why we're out here like butchering each other. That is what differentiates it in the public's mind. It's like the fake cover stories. The actual nuts and bolts of like what is going on. It's a continuation. And Russia, so Russia was fighting Germany in World War One you know, since 1914. So like World War One breaks out in 1914. Uh, like Russia is like heavily fighting uh, Germany on an Eastern front or Prussia. And, and uh, the, uh, they lost so many, they lost millions of people. Russia lost millions of, of people in uh, World War One. Yeah. And then what happened was in 1917, you get the, you had destabilization prior to 1917 they had uh they had uh workers unions and things like that start to pop up out of fucking nowhere like they were very much like here in the united states we've had antifa pop up out of nowhere is very similar but it was related more to the image of like the mass workers like the people that are in the factories are, have had enough and uh this all started popping up and you started having destabilization and then russia took so many losses they pulled out of world war one so like they started they didn't they didn't like necessarily end it in terms of uh, like efficiency, but they pulled all the all, you know they, they pulled massive resources out and pulled them back to Russia. And then in 1917, like, you get the Bolshevik Revolution. And what that is is you know I mean just to be totally straight here, uh, I mean the Bolshevik Revolu- Revolution was a period where uh, you had a bunch of uh, civil war going on in Russia between multiple factions, not just two like multiple, multiple factions of people fighting each other and nobody had any idea what the fuck was going on. Not only did nobody have an idea what was going on, it, it was mass hysteria and confusion. They had also, there was no world identity of like communism at the time. And so like the origin of communism was already in manifestation as one of these factions that was fighting in Russia. But the world didn't, I didn't, didn't even know about communism and definitely didn't associate it or identify it the way that people do now as like this, this fucking monolith of like, like spooky shadow monolith communist stuff out of nowhere. They didn't identify it like that. And so they didn't know at the time if like the whites were going to win or the, the, the reds or the greens were going to win. They didn't know. Well, surprise, surprise, the Bolsheviks are funded by the bankers in the United States and Europe. And all of the Bolsheviks, you have Lenin, you have Trotsky, you have, those are the most famous ones. You have a bunch of other ones. And they take Karl Marx's theory of, you know, socialism, communism, and they implement it through Bolshevikism, which is the party. They went up against, the, in the infancy, they had Menshevik, which would be like majority. Uh, Bolshevik is like minority party. Bolshevik ends up wiping out uh, Mensheviks and they and they uh, kind of like intercoalesce and uh, form form the Bolsheviks and then the Bolsheviks because they're being funded because the money supply is coming in underhandedly through gold 
they are able to like under the radar just fucking be the most powerful force and they and they win and then they kill the czar they take the whole fucking place over it's all you know it's all done they were even they were working with germany germany was like allowing passage of bolsheviks back into russia who were expelled because they tried doing this before the revolution they were trying all this stuff trying to stabilization and the czar regime was like nope you get the fuck out of here and they kicked them all out and then they got back in in various ways always bringing huge sums of gold and they there are stories about like germany allowing them to pass on like german controlled rails and stuff during world war one and like occupied territory just to get the Bolsheviks back into Russia so they fucking keep the Russians out of war. So, like, the Germans are just focused on, like, we're just going to win World War One. Like, who gives a fuck about Russia? They already pull out, like, keep them fucking busy with their, you know, revolution that's going on there. Like, send in the bad guys, you know? So they send in, they, they allow, like, safe passage for Bolsheviks. The Bolsheviks are fucking all over the place. You had guys in, like, fucking Switzerland. You had guys in fucking London, like they get expelled from Russia for fuckery. You had a Canadian ship, a Canadian ship uh, pull over one of them like in transit and held them in the brig with their money and then ended up getting released by Colonel House from the United States, who is a uh, executive branch uh, administrative official for that administration. Colonel House, they, there's like record of like Colonel House meeting with the Canadians to get the fucking uh fuck i wish i could remember who it is i don't think it's trots wait who's one of them's in switzerland i think is it trotsky in canada either trotsky or lenin one of them's in switzerland one of them's in canada and they get they get brought in so then they get it brought in they take the whole motherfucker over and then the fun starts because you get all kinds of fuckery most most of the the most severe fuckery is going to be in their uh like in their satellite border states that they annex and just like take you know by force they take them over and then they just that's when you start to get the first wave of like their monetary policy which is just we're going to steal all your shit and then sell it to the rest of the world and then that led to like obviously like ukraine you get the, the uh there's two phases of hold more where you have like millions of ukrainian both phases you had multiple millions of ukrainians starved to death because they're Food is confiscated by the Bolshevik government, sold to Great Britain, and then Great Britain sold it to the United States. Um, it's just mass alloc- reallocation of resources through, you know, socialism, through this new system socialism, Bolshevikism. Right. I remember, I remember hearing uh, something about that, and that's how they were able to further the, the communist uh, mentality basically saying the indigenous people out there, you, you see all those goats or uh, all those reindeer, yeah. they're your reindeer. They've stolen it from you. Um, uh, basically pitting people against each other while they're starving to be able to now convince the real, them, you know, that um, the, the real trick, of the, right the real way, trick to understand this would, whole thing all is that amongst everybody, the USSR everybody was entirely them. built yeah. on capitalism. So, so all of your lenders internationally in Europe and the United States are like using, uh, you know, like seven degrees from Kevin Bacon, just using intermediaries to pump money any way that they can. That's primarily like the Schiff family in uh, New York City. 
that would be like uh, your Warburg family between Germany and uh, in the United States, uh, Paul Warburg in the United States with the Federal Reserve, uh, Max Warburg yeah. in Germany with the Bank of Germany, H.M. Warburg. And they're, they're injecting through, through intermediaries like massive sums of money, and it continues the entire history of the Soviet Union, the USSR, is a continuous hemorrhage from the world economy being injected into the Soviet Union to keep it alive and functioning because what the Soviet Union is then doing is as a nation state that is uh, bought, like that is produced as a product, is then like destabilizing, taking over other countries. And so like during Vietnam and stuff, when, when people in Korea, when people are like, oh no, the communist threat, they're focused on the identity of communism and the, the like Russia, like the nation. And, and they're, fo- they're fixated on this, on this old principle of a nation state that doesn't even exist anymore. And they don't understand because they have no oversight over like the flow of money or understanding of economics. They're unable to identify what's really going on, which is that it doesn't fucking matter if it's called the USSR or the USS butt plug. Like it doesn't matter what the nation's called or what kind of, you know, song they have or anything like that. This entire thing is an economic train and they are being pumped full of money at a loss because they're not going to turn a profit off of it. Their profit is to starve Ukraine so that Ukraine can be destabilized and the power wiped out and on its knees. And then it can just be absorbed and lend to and kept under complete control, you know? And then that's where the society is today. Like Ukraine has modern civil wars going off, you know, I mean, you've seen, I'm sure the Ukraine conflict, like they have, all kinds of crazy civil wars that can just pop up at the, the tip of a hat, you know, like any, it's just snap their fingers and they're at civil war. It's like, yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. They have, they have, uh, Is Russia I read still a really good article uh, that was in the Atlantic. Did they uh, fuck. I wish I could remember what it's called. It's the called like, uh, rush. It's something about the title is about Russia. It's about, uh, it's about their economy. I'm not going to be able to remember the title. There's, there's this article that was written in the 2000s that I found in the Atlantic's archive, and it's fantastic because it has this quote in there from this gal that's the author. Uh, she, says, uh, she says something along the effects of like – she's describing like the, the period of transition between Soviet Union and its modern identity. This is written in the 2000, early 2000s. And she basically describes – she's like – you know, she's like uh, – a, a if there's civil war, that means that a monetary, like a wealth redistribution um, program has not been as effective as it should be. So when they have wealth redistribution, uh, that, you know, civil war is a result of like the rocky inefficiencies in their process of doing that economic, sociologically, uh, like the whole nine yards, like the big package picture of how they transition a people into a new model. The byproduct of that is civil war. So if they don't do a good job, they get civil war. If they do it effectively, there's no civil war and you get transfer of resources. And um, this is like the entire the entire game is that what, what people don't understand is that there is a world government. It is warring the nations against each other. And the nations have no fucking clue what is going on. And the world government has every prerogative and, and incentive to remain hidden as best as possible. And this stuff has been written about by 
presidents back to fucking like Taft, you know, back to fucking to Thomas Jefferson have like alluded to this stuff, you know, and it's, it's, I mean, if you can't put all that together, like for the skeptics, if you can't pull it together and look at what's going on in the country, I mean, you've got fucking stickers on the floor that tell you where to stand and people are walking around wearing masks. It just doesn't even make any sense. And the coronavirus isn't even, it was obviously created in a lab and you now have the great reset coming out of that as, and they're saying in the great, great reset, uh, you know, like descriptions from the world economic forum that COVID-19 is a great opportunity to like restructure the world. You know, I mean, this is just, it just, I, I you know, it's like, it, there's, there's no excuse for not recognizing this. And anybody yep. that doesn't recognize it is either lying because they're in on it or, and they have something to gain from it or, or they're lost, you know, like they're a lost cause. And, and the, the sad there thing about a, this whole uh, thing, go ahead. I'm sorry. As we progress and continue into this and people don't take a more direct role in resisting in terms of their, uh, like communication with all the people around them, voicing on social media, things like that. This, this train is not going to stop. It's going to continue and it's going to go all the way. And so obviously there's going to be at some point a, a cross section there where the speed and the distance that the train is going is not going to jive with society and you're going to start getting fighting. Well, when that starts happening, regardless of who the forces are, like it doesn't matter what, you know, silly patch they put on or, or banner or whatever. It's no different than when the Russians were fighting and they were fighting reds and greens and fucking whites, like multi multifaceted civil war. Like none of this shit matters. The only thing that matters is the Bolsheviks and the gold that, that are being injected. That was like the point of it the entire time. And all these other people that are sacrificing their lives and stuff, they don't understand that. And in the United States situation, it is going to get to this. Uh, it's probably going to look a lot different in a lot of different ways. But in terms of the broad overview, it is going to get to this because people are so naive, stubbornly, that they already have everything that they need to be able to approximately sum up what is going on. And they refuse to get out of the way of this train. And so they're going to they're going to you know, impact, have full speed impact. And then when that happens, you have a situation where it's like, you know, it's not like thing, when this happens, it's not like things are out of control. They're still going to be under control. It's just going to be a different phase and there's going to be a lot of suffering. And so like, you know, people need to realize that they need to realize that, you know, you can't, the, the entire thing is possible by participation and accepting things the way they are. And if people would, if people would quit supporting in whatever way they can, then you, you, it's like creating a little micro vacuum. And when you put enough of them together, it's like a major vacuum, you know, but that's the only way you can't, you can't fight it by petitioning and the controlled systems and like, you know, writing, I mean, you can, you can spread word, but you're not, you, you're not going to be able to do like a march and stop it or like, have some kind of white house petition. Like this stuff is all exactly. Yeah. You can't use their systems against them. I, I saw an article that said, uh, in 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. 
I died laughing reading that. I'm like, I, I can't believe that. And, you know, people are, are being sold on this idea for this great reset. And they're thinking it's going to be something beautiful and it, it's going to help out everybody. Everybody's going to get an equal share. And that's what they're trying to sell it as. And it is Stockholm. You know, so I, so I it's, don't, it's, if you, if you really want to get dark on this, how it is, it you know, is a Stockholm syndrome effect that's mass in society. And so basically what you have are a bunch of weak people. They're not weak because their souls are weak. They're weak because they've chosen to be weak and they are uh, giving away everything that they could have had for themselves, both in their lifestyle and the way that they live. And they're not giving any thought. They're not critically considering like, what do they need to survive and why aren't they providing it to themselves? Even in the most even in the most basic sense, they're not doing that. And so, and so it, it's, it's inevitable for that kind of mindset to, or that kind of uh, habit to just like, you're going to be pushed along with the flow, no matter what it is, you know? And people think that it's, they like to dream that like, you know, this is progress and, you know, this is the direction that all the big companies and the money says to go. This is the right way. This is like, I mean, they'll fucking put you right into where you're, you know, directly hook up to a battery using you for, I mean, there's literally, I've literally, you know, like uh, I've been studying, uh, piezoelectrics a lot, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, there's literally energy harvesting stuff going on right now where they're making like platforms with piezo, uh, ceramics and stuff in the ground. So that when you walk over them in regular traffic, like high population areas, it just pulls the fucking, the fucking electricity off of your impacts on the piezo crystals in the ground. So they're going to use you as like energy harvesters. They're using you to, when you do captures on, on the internet, they're using you to, you know, develop AI by, by modeling your human decision-making when you select, like click on all the pictures that are bicycles. Like this is the future. Is it, is it, Yep. Yeah, I was I was I was told a while ago that the uh, the captcha, whenever you read the uh, the letters on there and how they're fuzzy, uh, morphed and everything, that's for uh, scanning documents. That's for, um, you know, looking at people's handwriting for AI systems to be able to understand that more and be able to. Um, yeah, basically That's right. and, educate the and AI. The way that it's going, read like, humanity is not going to be able any, to uh, analog stop to so, uh, like, It is going to hit. It, like the, the conflict is not going to be avoided. It is going to hit. It is going to be absolutely incendiary and explosive. And the people that are doing this already know this. And they have thought well ahead of uh, the conflict. Like this is not... You have to understand that this is not like these are the smartest, most capable people that think about this their entire lives. And it has been purpose driven. And and when this thing hit for generations and when this thing hits, it's not like they're like going to be like, oh, no, they're fighting. Like we never counted on that. For, they know that you're going to fight. Like they have they have already spent decades and decades uh, like pulling in the corrals and putting up backstops everywhere. Like safety's everywhere for this fucking okay crowd it's going to keep going worldwide it is it is like i mean it all the things are in place i mean they have like in 2020 they eliminated explosive precursors in europe like eu wide where it's like you can buy sulfuric acid because that can i mean and sulfuric acid is like a broad 
industrial chemical that's used for every everything like dyes to fucking like food to like everything but because it's it's absolutely necessary as a precursor for all of your uh, like nitro products and ex- high explosives they've fucking el- eliminated it in the united states yes exactly it makes it but there's well, that's just the further well, they're, neutering. They're, they're setting the, it up. They're just uh, taking the away resources that people don't know that they're going to want when this thing happens. And then they're going to be running the closet for their goodie bag. And they're going to be like learning on the fly, like, wait, we need to make explosives. How do we make explosives? And then they're going to be going to like try to figure the shit out. And yeah. they're like, fuck, everything's fucked. Like they've already thought of all of this shit. So it's like people don't understand this. And they think that it's never going to happen. Like we are. Not only is it going to happen, it is a hundred and fucking ninety-nine. Is a thousand percent going to happen? Like we we are going to get into conflict, and when it happens, they're going to try to make it look like it's a million other conflicts, anything but the conflict that it actually is, so that people are confused and they're just drifting like lost fish in this whole thing until they can get it under control. And it doesn't matter how many people you know. Like if you're lost yeah. and you don't understand what's going on, when this shit go, pops off and it's civil war external war whatever the cover war is like the actual war is what's going on and and most of the people participating in it probably won't even fucking know that they're participating in it. that's how bad it's gonna be and the the they've already set up backstops they've already considered all of these things and the 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 absolute best way yeah. is yeah. to be independent it's absolutely the best and when and when the shit does get you know, when, when there's violence, you have to understand that, like, most of your population is going to serve world government because they don't have the ability to be strong. They don't have the ability to, like, you know, they're not going to have time to figure shit out. They're going to have to go with the handouts, handout after handout after handout, just to get by. And so that's a very strong incentive to make you psychologically overcome any kind of ethic consideration. Any, I mean, they're just going to be guided, like, like fucking lemmings and into service, you know, and, uh, the people, the people that fight them, you know, the fight world government are obviously going to have the people that are lemmings put up in front of them, like human shields. Like that is what, you know, like that is, that is going to be the entire game. So it's like you, it's very, uh, unfortunate because, you know, I mean, how could you blame, you know, when this thing gets to the point where it's like, you can't have property or, you know, whatever unethical laws that come out with to deprive you of your livelihood, when somebody resists that, it's like, how can you blame them? No matter how, you know, no matter how the papers write about it, no matter what lies they say, it's like when it gets like that, how, how can you blame anybody from resisting in whatever capacity they want to resist them? It's like you can't. So yeah. on that same vein, there's uh, there's been something that I've noticed, you know, being in the um, freedom community, the firearm community for as long as I have in, in the industry, I, I've seen uh, to be a total systemic um, breakdown of the availability of firearms, ammunition, weapons in general, even even now knives 
like the most basic things uh, becoming unavailable. And I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit. What I mean is uh, over the past year and some change, I've seen, um, you know, right when COVID hit especially, but places like Walmart stopped selling firearms and ammunition, mostly in major, you know, metropolitan areas. Then I see Dick's Sporting Goods stop selling firearms and ammunition in most, you know, metropolitan areas. Then I see places like eBay, where you used to be able to buy, you know, a, a complete build kit except the receiver on eBay and Amazon and all these places, firearm parts and accessories and, you know, certain things have just become almost completely unavailable to where if you go search AR-15 on eBay, nothing pulls up. They won't allow you to post anything on there. Then I see, you know, places like, um, you know, other sporting goods stores not carry firearms, ammunition, knives, machetes, camping gear, like they are making access. Well, what I believe is that they are making access to just regular primitive weapons and firearms and ammunition almost completely unobtainable. And then now they have the the virus to blame it on that. Oh, well, it's because ammunition isn't available because of the huge rise in demand for firearms. And then also during COVID, the mining of raw materials like lead and blah, blah, blah. Like all of these things are a reason, but I call bullshit. I what and and you match that with, you know, the uh, impending gun control in places like Virginia. And then now whatever direction this country goes with either Biden or, or Trump, um, which I think we have an idea, but if we do get hit with, with massive gun control, I mean, this is, I see this. It's going definitely in, in negative, really but negative you don't, direction. you know, what you're not appreciating how negative that? it really is. So the, You're right. That goes right no, back fine. to they, what you were they, talking about. So, so like, for instance, right, for like, we look at it like, you know, a us. supply shortage. But go ahead, right? Dugan, I'm sorry. But we had to, you had to back out of it and get a little wider, right? How long, you know, let's say you buy a pound of gunpowder because you reload, right? Well, it hasn't been that long they introduced the uh, hazmat fee for shipping, right? And that's been enforced through, like, every shipper right and so like all of your private ones and usps are on the same page they hasn't been that long since they started requiring you to uh have an ffl to ship a handgun through usps and if and they won't even ship rifles so you can do an f if you have an ffl you have to give them a copy and you have to sign something to ship a handgun through usps even though that's not their not like not only do they have no you know they have no control over any of that it's just it's just another regulatory control to slow down um procedure just like the hazmat fee is an economic regulatory barrier when you add a tax to something like a hazmat fee well it shakes out in the aggregate for the thousands of uh manufacturers of uh like different types of, of powder that are made by manufacturers they start to pull their you know they start they have to swallow that cost you know what i mean and then I guarantee you that the government manufacturers of uh, of uh, powder are being incentivized and having barriers removed. 
so that they don't have to fall. You know, they probably have like government shipping that like avoids all this stuff and then they don't have it. And so this is, this is regulatory, yeah, regulatory economic control to cause change to put all of the parties like in the population into the correct orientation. You know, and it, it all, it all acts together. Like you're, you're like when you, when your mind's closed down, you have to order materials from like another country and you can't just make something. And then when you have to have ATF compliance with your, uh, like your firearms manufacturing and stuff, it puts you into a position where you can't just like, you know, build a bunch of fucking rifles from out of nowhere to like, you know, give to your people that live in your immediate, like if you're, let's say that you were, had the capability of just manufacturing rifles. And then let's say that your people where you live, you know, 10,000 people get together and be like, we don't want to participate anymore. We want to have, you know, we were going to arm ourselves and get ready to defend ourselves. You can't even fucking whip up the guns. Like you wouldn't be able to do it. You could have done it and they did do it in the revolutionary war. Like you could do it. They did it in the fucking civil war. Like you could do it. You can't do it now. You see? Hmm. They didn't have the control. I'm going to start a militia and I'm going to start a militia and just get all of my uh, uh, piping from uh, Lowe's. Well, and, and this Depot, is this is know, the so this is the essence of like the only you know, when you're talking you about the make, gun community, uh, the gun community is a very uh, it's an unfortunate use. name, first of all, because it's not a gun community. It's it's America. But it's been relinquished, relinquished into the gun community. It's been extinguished and stamped on into the gun community where you can have anonymous people on yep. forums and stuff yeah. pretend like they're, they have huge dicks and they just they have so much sway to like influence Crazies. other people to follow gun control, to follow the fucking loss of their rights, things like that. And then it becomes normal. And then you get people like arguing about fucking asinine ATF regulation like on the fine points of their of their you know regulatory law that they put out and you know m855 ban and whatever you know and then they're just like arguing about it and it's like you know and are, it's so dumb because they'll argue about it like you know like most of the argument is like well we want m855 but they don't just do it like that they're just like you know it's like they're negotiating it's like it's like a baby negotiating with with a guy that's like running an ice cream truck. That's what it's like. It's like you guys are not in fucking control because you refuse to take control because you refuse to just like nobody wants to unplug. Nobody wants to like stop paying taxes. Nobody wants to stop paying fucking ATF fees and fight the gunfight when they come. Like nobody wants to do it. Everybody just wants to comply, comply, comply. I need to get the dollar to buy my pancakes and feed my kids. Like you're going to walk into socialism. Like you're already there. You know, you're, you're, you're there right now. It's just only in the big ass cities where they have no escape at all. Just because you're rural and you're in another state, you're every single state is so tied into this fucking thing. It just, it's just delayed. Like it's coming. Yeah. yeah the it's, ice cream it's fucking coming and you're not going to have any choice. Your choice is going to be to fight and die right or, <laughs> or go with it. And when you try to fight and die, cause that's what a lot of people are going to choose to do. When you do that, they already know that you're going to do that. So that's why I said the backstop so that like you basically it's going to be like some guy, you know, it's basically going to be like the fucking they want the equivalent of like the Palestinian taking a knife and attacking a fucking Israeli checkpoint. You know, like that's what they they want that situation in the United States. Like that's what they're trying to create by having the the offset 
a power between like the government and and their uh, coordinated communication and security apparatus against a bunch of people who are just like running around with chickens with their heads cut off, like trying to fucking like argue about fucking gun control and shit. Like they're ranking. And when somebody take, I was gonna say, and when somebody takes a stand, yeah. whenever it starts getting worse, they already control the MSM. So it just turns around yeah. and they paint the person as a crazy and, you know, they, they give incentive for other people to say, boy. yeah, to say, oh, look at this horrible person. Look at what they did. And they weren't following the rules and they wanted to go around and do this. And, you know, this yeah. is a lesson to learn from. That guy was crazy. He was an extremist and all these other things when it was just a man trying to stand up for his 